I just see a lot of minefields uh, getting between here and lifting the Stanley Cup. Will they play another game at Nassau Coliseum? And they make demands of the players, and the players cave. That's what they do. Without further ado, uh, which is basically the extent of my French, Newsday presents the Island Ice Podcast with Andrew Gross. And welcome to Island Ice, Newsday's New York Islanders podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Gross. Please find me on Twitter at A Gross Newsday. And I'm back from vacation. Uh, took some time off. I uh, did get a, a, a podcast recorded during the uh, during the vacation, episode 60, when Johnny Boychuk announced he was not able to play any longer. So if you haven't heard that, please go back and take a listen. But I'm back off for, off vacation, and I'm ready to uh, uh, do another podcast here, episode 61. Um, still, still no word on when the NHL will start its next season. Now the target date seems to be moved back towards January 15th, whether they'll be able to hit that or not. Not exactly sure, and I'll debate the merits of, uh, what is going on very shortly with my Newsday teammate, uh, our Rangers beat writer, Colin Stevenson, uh, recorded a chat with him regarding the current state of negotiations between the NHL and the NHLPA. And after that, I will get back and answer some of your questions for an Andrew's Answers session. Um, But let me just lead into uh, this chat with Colin by kind of stating what my thoughts are and that I, I, I really think, and maybe... Maybe it's for the pessimist in me. I really think it is going to be difficult to navigate through an NHL season here, and not only because the NHL and the NHLPA, as they negotiate here uh, for what would be a truncated uh, regular season, they still have not really come to any conclusion on the financial terms. We saw what happened with Major League Baseball when those two sides started arguing over the money, and obviously baseball did get a 60-game regular season in, and uh, they managed to go through the conclusion of the World Series with the Los Angeles Dodgers winning. The uh, NHL uh, would like to play. They're looking now at a 56-game season, maybe, um, through... Uh, early July, probably, because NBC has the rights to broadcast the uh, 2020 Summer Olympics, which will be brought to you in 2021 from Tokyo. And that starts mid-July, I believe July 21st, July 23rd, somewhere around there. So the NHL would really need to be wrapped up right around July 4th or very shortly thereafter. They could start as late as February 1st or maybe mid-February, you know, I, if that's the case, then obviously the regular season gets shorter and shorter. I, I just think time is growing short here to, to reach an agreement, get the players into training camp. That's going to be a, you're going to need two weeks for training camp. You're going to need two weeks to bring everyone in and go through the necessary quarantines. And then the overlying uh, storyline is as it has been since March is this COVID-19 pandemic, which shows no signs of abating or uh, subsiding whatsoever. Uh, the numbers keep going up and up and up. 
And that just, to me, brings the odds, you know, uh, it just makes the odds harder and harder and harder to navigate a season. I know the NBA is going to, uh, has announced their intentions and they have a plan and a, and a schedule and a, and we'll see what happens there. They've already had a, a, a bunch of players test positive. And, and the big difference here, obviously, with the NHL and the NBA as compared to the NFL and Major League Baseball is you're, you're playing indoor games here. So I, I just see a lot of minefields uh, getting between here and lifting the Stanley Cup in July, especially since you're, you're looking with this vaccine, and, and I'm knocking on wood here, Hopefully by by October, when the twenty one twenty two season uh, would be able to start or, or is projected to start, and the NHL and Gary Bettman are adamant that they want the twenty one twenty two season to be a back to normal season, meaning an eighty two game regular season played in front of fans in the home arenas, and they're thinking with this vaccine that. Uh, you know, I don't know if life ever gets back to the normal we had before uh, March of this year. Uh, I, I think there are going to be concessions and uh, the way we look at things will forever be changed. However, I, I, I do think there are going to be fans back in the buildings at, at a certain point. And, and, and I am optimistic that by October... Uh, we we can get there, which would mean you know the Islanders opening their new building, uh, which I, I guess is projected for November, but uh, the the certainly around the start of the twenty one twenty two season, uh, they they're going into their new arena at Belmont Park, UBS. Will they play another game at Nassau Coliseum as they're scheduled to uh, do this regular season? Will will games be played? In many bubbles, will uh, you know there are a lot of unanswered questions. And again, I, I'm still uh, on the side of I, I have serious doubts as to whether the the NHL is going to be able to put everything together in order to play uh, a, a truncated uh, season uh, before the 21-22 season. Meaning, uh, it would not shock me if the next time we see a hockey game. Uh, would be uh, for the 21-22 season. However, uh, I, I do know that, uh, you know, from Gary Bettman's side, he adamantly wants to play. I know the players, if they can get the financials worked out, they desperately want to play because they are players. This is what they do. Still a lot of obstacles. And uh, Colin and I are going to try and take you through this as uh, we, we kind of toss around the issues here and, and play both sides of it as to whether the NHL is going to be able to play a what would be a truncated season, uh, the 2021 season, which is not going to start uh, now before most likely January 15th, 21, and maybe even later than that. But here's Colin and I discussing all the issues surrounding what may or may not happen. And as promised, I am joined now by Newsday teammate and longtime buddy, uh, Colin Stevenson. Colin, good to see your face. Hope all is well with you. Uh, yes, uh, same here. Uh, you get to see you. So let, let, let's just dive right into this. What is your take on where the NHL and NHLPA are right now? And where do you think they're going to be in a month from now? It was interesting that the, all the reporting... Um, 
late last week was that they had decided to negotiate what a return to play would look like, regardless of, you know, setting aside the money issues for now, which I think was a smart, smart play on their part. I mean, don't get hung up on the money issues now because you spend all your time working on the money issues and then you still have to figure out, well, okay, now that we've agreed, now what do we have to do? So in the meantime, I think it makes more sense to figure out what the game would look like first. January 15th start, 56 games, maybe not 56 games, maybe 52 games. You know, hash out all those little details first. Um, so anyway, I think it makes more sense to uh, – to do that, you know, get, get the get the return to play uh, in order first, and then because the money thing is a big deal, I, I mean that's 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 going to be a problem. But you're still um, talking to you beforehand. You're still strongly in the uh, side of they're going to get this figured out. There will be hockey at some point, and and the two sides are going to come to a reasonable agreement. Yes. Absolutely, I believe that. Um, and why wouldn't I believe that? You know, this is how it goes. The owners cry poverty. Um, they want to give back from the players. They want the players to play for 10, 12 bucks an hour, um, you know, because that's the only way that they can make their businesses work. And they make demands of the players, and the players cave. That's what they do. You and I have talked about this extensively. You and I are on different sides of the fence. I firmly believe they're going to play. Um, because I believe that's what everybody does. The owners ask for the players to give back, and the players give back, and they play. I, I just think this is such a different scenario. I mean, obviously, anyone you know looking in, even a non-hockey fan, would realize this is so different that you know, with all the swirling things going on, including a worsening of the COVID pandemic, there's there's a lot of obstacles here and the later you get i mean to articulate again what i'm thinking is there's a batch of owners i i know gary bettman desperately wants to play and i know the players want to play and i i know nbc wants him to play and probably in the end nbc as the you know and the television partners probably have the strongest voice out of anyone in, in this whole thing so maybe that's one strong reason why there will be a season I, I just know there, there, there is a faction of owners, and I'm sure, you know, I know Melnick in, in Ottawa, and I'm pretty sure Mr. Jacobs in Boston would come out on the side of, if we're not going to make any money at all, what, what, what's the point? And, and, and the reason I say this is a different scenario is they want to get this done by July. We're, we're, we're not, at the earliest, we're going to see hockey is January 15th. And, you know, I, I still think if we do get hockey, February 1st is probably a lot more realistic than January 15th. I agree with um, that. But my point is, I, I think, in, and more than just those two owners' minds that I've mentioned, what's the difference between starting February 1st and losing a bunch of money or just waiting until October when theoretically the COVID vaccine will allow for more capacity in the arenas and let's just play when, you know, it makes sense to make money uh, rather than, you know, try and push through a season where there are going to be, you know, 
unprecedented revenue losses for the owners. I, I just, and, and I, I'm not saying I agree with that argument. I, I would much rather see them play. I just think there is a strong voice within the owners that are going to step back and say, look, we can play on October 1st and we can play under normal conditions. And that's really in, in the big picture, not too far away. Right. No, no, I, I, I understand all that. That's, that's a very logical way to look at it. Uh, I, I take a more cynical viewpoint. Um, and, and part of my cynicism is that, and you, you touched on it earlier, and I was thinking the same thing, uh, NBC is going to want them to play. Because, you know, and the NBC has Sunday night football, right? I mean, they've got NFL Sunday nights. Um, but that's going to, I mean, we're at, we're, we're week 13 or, or whatever it is. I mean, that's going to end pretty soon. And, um, and then what's NBC sports going to have on TV? So NBC sports is going to want programming. They have a contract with this league to provide them with programming. I think they're going to push very, very hard for this league to provide them with the programming that they need up until the Olympics start. Now the Olympics opening day, I think is July 23rd. So you can work backwards from July 23rd. I mean, I think uh, Sportsnet was saying that uh, the Stanley Cup would be handed out somewhere between June 30th and July 7th. I'm sure NBC is going to need to get their people over to Tokyo and all that kind of stuff. So it's not like you can hand out the cup on the 22nd. No, no. It's got to be handed out um, at a particular time so that they can finish up and get ready for the Olympics and all that. But they need programming between now and then. And, and, uh, and they have a contract with the NHL. So now I don't know what the legal ramifications are of the NHL deciding not to play and thus not fulfilling that contract. What, what happens then? Does the, this is the last year of that contract. Um, so then does, you know, does the contract just go away and then they're free to make a non-contract with, say, ESPN or CBS Sports or wherever next year? Does the final year of this contract extend another year? I, I don't know what all those legal ramifications are and, and what NBC Sports' uh, recourse would be, but I, but I think they're going to have a strong voice. And, and, I, and I do hear you. I do, you know, the guy in Ottawa, the guy in Boston, maybe a couple of the hardline owners, you know, they, they don't see the point in playing and losing more money. Um, but I think that there are owners – that do want to play beyond Batman, beyond players, beyond NBC. I mean, I think, you know, Maple Leaf sports certainly would be invested and would want to have games. Uh, MSG would certainly want to have games. Yeah. I, I certainly think I, our, our two owners, you know, Malkin and Ledecky and, and Dolan, I, I think they would both be on the side of let's play. I, I agree yeah. with you there. So I, I think ultimately if you add it up, there's 31 teams, how many owners don't want to play and how many owners do want to play. I, I, I would imagine that more do and the commissioner wants it. So those two guys or, or whatever wing of ownership that they control will have a strong voice and they will get concessions and they will demand that the players give up more money than they've already given up. But if they get it, I think they'll play and I think they'll get it. I, I go back and we discussed this on a previous pod, uh, the, the Las Vegas owner Foley saying, right. you know, unless he had, what was it, anything less than 40% capacity in the building, and it didn't make sense for him to open the doors at all. And, I mean, there's no way there's going to be 40% capacity. I mean, certainly not to start. You know, if, if things go well, maybe, you know, you're talking April, May, as we get to playoff time, 
you know, maybe right. you're, you're closer to full capacity. And, yeah. you know, that might be, you know, Mr. Bentman might have that as the carrot on the stick to a lot of these owners going, look, I know it's going to be ugly at the beginning, but this is why we should start. And you got to hope for the best, you know, May, June, July. And I also think, and you you brought up the the TV contracts, and it's not just NBC, as you mentioned, it's the Canadian television partners that the NHL has to make happy as well. And they, you know, they certainly want the content as well. And my, my understanding of this is if there's not a season as far as the contract, you know, what's it called, force majeure or whatever it is, you know, uh, act of God or however you phrase it, which is what, you know, I believe Gary, who's a former or still a lawyer, that's how he would insulate the league and the owners from any legal actions by the players by saying what happened this year was something beyond everyone's control. So, you know, you can't sue us for not playing. It it wouldn't count as a lockout, which is something that is not allowed in this current CBA. It it wouldn't count as that if I'm understanding it. And, you know, my daughter is going to be the lawyer in the family, not me. But the the NHL is going to argue that circumstances outside of their control forced them to not play. Um, I think that argument, you know, is going to be made more difficult by the fact that the NBA is going to play. I mean, they, they have an opening day of December 22nd. They've made plans to play. The same conditions that, that would prevent the NHL from playing, how then do they not prevent the NBA from playing? What is the NBA doing that is different than the NHL? Well, in, in a and way. they have fewer players, remember. Yeah, no, in a way, I think what the NHL is doing is, is kind of smart is it's kind of got a wait-and-see attitude because the, the, the NBA wants to get going – at Christmas, and as your friend and my friend Steve Pomper, uh, Newsday's wonderful Knicks reporter, has kind of skeptically said, you know, yeah, you can schedule a season, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get to play the season. I mean, before training camps even opened, 48 NBA players, correct? Tested right. positive. Yeah, there's, there's a bunch of guys. But you, you, you can't you can't start the season on January 15th without putting into position the mechanism to start the season. So, um, you know, the NBA has put in place a mechanism whereby it is going to, or it intends to start its season on December 22nd. They started practices yesterday, uh, Sunday, right? So, I mean, like they, they opened up and then, and they have training camps going. And so that, that is in place. Players are being tested. Players have reported to, you know, and now they're, they're actually practicing. So if circumstances are such that they can't start on December 22nd, well, at least they tried. The NHL, you're saying, um, you know, the NHL hasn't, hasn't done that yet. So, you know, the NHL is not yet, as far as I'm concerned, trying to get a season started. So I don't think you can, you can say force majeure, or I don't think you can say if you're Gary Bettman or the NHL that, you know, um, COVID is preventing us from playing. I mean, the, the baseball played a full season, not, you know, such as it was 60 games. Now it's now it's door sport. Football has had all kinds of trouble, but they've played, right? I mean, they, they, nobody, everybody's played the number of games that they're supposed to have played at this point. You had a team play without quarterbacks. You know, you had a team, uh, you know, Baltimore play 
you know, without its quarterback and, and a bunch of other starters and, and they lost the game and all that kind of stuff, but they played the game. So, and, and you have the NBA, which plays in the same arenas as the NHL does. And it is the same time of year as the NHL does. Um, so I don't see how the NHL can say, well, circumstances prevented us from playing when the NBA is playing. So that, that I think is, is something that, you know, that they're going to have to go before a judge and, 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 you know, explain. Well, you bring up a, a very good point here is the NHL and the NBA are playing in the same arenas, arenas. They're, they're, they're playing indoors. And that is vastly different than what the NFL and the and MLB did in playing outdoors. And, and the other thing, and this is one thing I think that the NHL has over the NBA in whenever this gets started, if it gets started, this idea that they're, they are, they're going to limit travel. The NBA is just doing a full schedule right. and, and they right. have to play at Golden State and there's right. going to be cross-country travel. Yeah. So basically what the NHL is going to do is break into four mini leagues. You're going to have the seven Canadian teams because the right. U.S.-Canada border is not open. And Yeah, yeah, like, this challenge. And, and unlike the NBA, where they can just move the Toronto Raptors to Tampa, you're not going to move seven Canadian franchises out of that country into the U.S. Um, so you're going to have four mini leagues, in essence, geographically based. And, you know, whether they play in, you know, you know pseudo hubs or, you know, you play in your home arena, which is I think is what it, the players and the owners want. You play in the home arenas. And you probably played like more of a baseball schedule where the Islanders would go to Boston and maybe play the Bruins twice in three days at TD right. Garden. So you, right. you minimize the travel as much as possible. And if you're playing 56 games, which I think is the most logical model with this, with this mini league setup, because you got eight teams in the three U.S. divisions. So right. you just play the other seven teams eight times each, and that's 56. I mean, I I touched upon this in in one of my NHL insiders, probably the last one. This breaks perfectly for the Islanders and the Rangers because, I mean, their travel, you know, because you got to figure Boston's in their division. Philly. Philly. And and then the the three metropolitan teams are in that division. You know, there's going to be minimal travel. So that's all well and good. I, I just, any travel, I think, is obviously there's an element of risk to it in, in, a, in a spreading type situation. But I, I, I do think, I like the NHL's model better than the NBA model for long-term success. Now, the NBA figured out its financial problems, you know, pretty quickly. Um, and again, fewer players they on the team. have more money to work with. <laughs> a lot more money. Yeah, they have more yes. money to work with. You have fewer financial problems. Yeah, um, this financial hurdle. I, I agree with your take on it. That the owners they they do get the players to cave eventually. I mean, uh, Don Fear is a different sort of animal uh, as far as a PA executive director than I think you know the PA has had in past. But still, the players do want to play. You know, maybe I'm just a pessimist. I, I just see a lot of hurdles between now and the puck dropping. The NHL model traditionally has been that the owners 
try and break even in the regular season and make their money in the playoffs, right? And you've, and you've mentioned, and, and, you know, we're not a coronavirus podcast, obviously, but we all know that the vaccine, you know, two vaccines have, uh, or several vaccine candidates are out there and are waiting for uh, emergency authorization. I think the Pfizer vaccine uh, is up to be like next week, maybe sometime. Um, or no, maybe it's this week. I think it's December 10th, right? So it's this week. Anyway, the point being, we're going to get emergency authorization and the people at the front of the line are going to start getting, getting vaccinated by the end of the year. And the people at the, at the end of the line, like you and me, we're looking at the spring. If you're in the NHL, I mean, that timing works out really good because at that point, you'll be looking to finish up your regular season and go right to the playoffs. And the NHL model has always been the owners try and break even in, in the, you know, in the regular season and make all of their profit in the playoffs. So you would be talking about getting people in the buildings just in time for playoff hockey. Now, look, again, there are a lot of problems with it, right? And there are going to be games that get canceled and there's going to have to be games that are going to be made up or not made up. And you're going to have to figure that stuff out. Uh, and I don't know how much money they're actually going to lose. There was, there was some... Uh, discussion of they need $300 million and what have you. And and by the way, our, your good friend and mine, Larry Brooks, wrote a column. Great a idea. Column. It was a great idea. Great idea. And I, I, I wondered about this myself, but, you know, I mean, Larry went ahead and wrote it, so I'm going to give him the credit for it. They have Seattle coming in next year who's going to give them $650 million in expansion fees. So if you're short $300 million bucks, what would the problem be in going to Seattle and saying, hey, can you help us out and give ding, us an ding, advantage? Ding, ding, ding. Yeah, absolutely. It's 300 million now and 350 next year, and we're good. That's your 300 million dollars right there. So, you know, I, I'm surprised that nobody else has picked this up. And again, but but this is where my skepticism and my cynicism comes in again. The owners don't want to share that with the players. So nope. Right now, that 650 million is not considered part of the hockey-related revenue that gets split 50-50 with the players. So what the owners want to do is they want to share the losses with the players and then take that 650 and yeah. not share that and 650. put it right in their pockets, you know. And so they don't, you know, so that's their thing. But, but <laughs> real quick story. Like last week, I was uh, watching SportsCenter or something, and my son was in the room, and they had on the crawl that – LeBron James had signed this two-year extension with the Lakers, right? $89 million, I think it is. And I just kind of caught, you know, I, I couldn't help myself. I go, wow, that's a lot of money. And my son reminded me, and I've always thought this, but I kind of must have just lost sight of it for a second. And he reminded me, he goes, he said, There's, the owner wouldn't be paying him that much if the owner wasn't making more. Yeah, yeah. So, I, you know, and, and full disclosure, I am always going to be pro player. Whenever it's owners versus players, I'm always going to be pro player because I think the players are the game and the owners facilitate the game, right? They build the arenas. They put the infrastructure in place that allows to have these games, but the players are the game. So I'm always going to be on the side of the players. And my son was right. And I've always thought this, no matter what the players make, the owners make more. So I, I don't, I don't buy these, these, you know, cries of poverty from the owners. Yes, they're going to lose money. They'll make it back. So I don't, I don't have any, any sympathy for them. Um, they'll make it back. They're going to make $650 million next year. Take 300 of that now to cover your losses and take 350 next year. That's still more than $10 million per team for existing team. So ultimately, my cynicism says, yes, they'll play. 
Now, the, the NHL and the NHLPA have talked uh, by all reports through the weekend, and I believe, you know, the talks are continuing. And this is something you mentioned before we started chatting, uh, you know, for, for posterity here. But there have been no reports coming out of what's and, – and, and I mentioned I think that's a good sign. I, I think that might actually mean that some progress is being made because there are no leaks coming out and there are no, there's no angry feelings right now from either way. And that maybe, you know, they're, they're, they're really hunkering down at this point. Do you read that the same way? Well, uh, yes, yes, I do. Um, so there was there were big talks on Thursday, and then and then I guess there were more talks on Friday. And I, I saw that Pierre LeBron had tweeted that there was talks on on Saturday and Sunday. So they are talking uh, every day. I'm sure they're they're talking today, uh, as you and I speak. It's Monday, um, and and it's good. It's good to communicate. Um, but you know, it, ultimately, the the talk only uh, matters if if they can. They can settle all the hockey stuff, but they got to settle the money stuff, right? So that's, that's, the, that's the big thing. Like, you know, the, the, the injury, the, the COVID protocols, and if they can get the money right, there are lots of questions that I have. Like um, the AHL is supposed to start in February, but I think that's kind of random. And they just kind of pushed it back to February, right? That is a league that doesn't have a TV contract as far as I know. Certainly not a national TV contract. Um, maybe some, you know, some local teams get, you know, local uh, broadcast media. But um, so they're a gate-driven league, like 99% or 95% or whatever. So they really can't play if there's no fans in the stands. And if they're not playing, then where do you stash your, not only your developmental players, but your emergency uh, replacement players? Um, so you have you have a 23 man roster. You may have 23, you may have 20, you may have 22, but if somebody uh, gets injured and you need a replacement, you know, there's no AHL from, from which to go get a replacement player. Right. I mean, the, they might have to do what, what, what the the, what MLB did was just, you had this secondary camp where you sent right. all the players that right. were not. And, and, and if you also noticed um, the ECHL, uh, lost a few affiliated teams. Yes. I think the team in Cincinnati, I think there were like four or five teams just told the ECHL they, they are not going to operate this season. And right. it wouldn't shock me if the same thing happens in the AHL potentially. I mean, I can't, I mean, I can't see how the AHL can, um, can operate, you know, if there's no attendance. <laughs> it just can't. You know, and, and like the, the NHL, the guys that are under NHL contracts, then I guess they would get paid by the parent club, right? If you're, if you have a guy that's, a, you know, yep. in your, he's on a two-way contract or whatever. I mean, the NHL team is paying his minor league salary, but all those guys that are contracted to the, the AHL club, how can they pay them? I mean, it's, you know, I just, I don't see how that works unless they get subsidized by the NHL, which I, I, I have a hard – I don't know if you saw um, – I follow the soccer, and, and in England, the uh, Premier League clubs are going to uh, lay out some money to help out the lower division clubs. You know, I, I think that the NHL would have to do something similar with the AHL if the AHL is to operate this season. Now, I think the AHL can probably take a season off and come back next season – but I think that there's, there's a lot of money at stake at the NHL um, level, TV money and, and such, 
and and brand awareness. I mean, if the NBA, I just if the NBA plays and the NHL doesn't play, I, I don't know how that goes. Well, and and also you, again, getting back to TV after after this season, the the, the contracts are up in the U.S. with NBC. Yeah. Yeah. And Bettman is looking at getting significantly more television revenue into the league by probably splitting up. I mean, there's talk that ESPN is going to get back into the game and maybe they're, you know, NBC still has parts of the package, but you're going to break it up somehow and, and, and get more, more television revenue and not playing this season would significantly hurt uh, yes. the renegotiations, which is another reason why Bettman desperately wants to yes. play this season. If you think about it now, I mean, like the, the, you know, all the streaming services and, you know, the ESPN app, ESPN three or whatever you want to call that, they need programming. And so I could see, uh, you know, I mean, if you look at what the NFL did where you have, all right, Sundays and now you have ESPN has Monday and then, you know, they have their own network that has Thursdays and, um, and they, and, and NBC has Sunday nights and, you know, so they, they split it up and, and, and it was a really smart way to, to maximize revenue, television revenue. And, you know, it's a model that, you know, the, the premier league in England, England has, uh, has, you know, kind of followed, you know, where they have the Saturday morning games and then they've got the Monday, they have Monday night football there too, because they like that idea. So, I mean, it, it is exactly the kind of thing. And if you look, even the NBA does it right. Cause they have ESPN, and, and, and TNT that, that kind of split up um, their, uh, their national broadcasts, you know, I think and, uh, TNT is Wednesday night and ESPN is Thursday and whatever it is. But so you could do that too with, with, with uh, Major League Soccer does it. ESPN has some and Fox Sports has some. So, so the NHL needs to do that. And, and you're exactly right. If they don't play this year, how are they, you know, how are they going to maximize those revenues for next season? Yeah, what you don't want is uh, the situation in Major League Baseball playoffs where you literally cannot figure out what channel a game is on. <laughs> I mean, you're searching up and down the dial. And it, Hey, can I, can I ask a serious question here, a serious uh, football, English football question here? Go for it. Does watching Ted Lasso on Apple TV mean I am a fan of Premier League football? No. Oh, well, okay. Uh, <laughs> serious question over. And, absolute, and actually, Colin, I think uh, that's, that's running the course on uh, our time for this discussion. And uh, I appreciate, oh. you. I appreciate oh. you hopping on. And uh, there's going to be more hockey to talk about because hopefully the NHL and the NHLPA are, uh, are going to continue their talks. And uh, you know, hopefully come to a conclusion. Again, color me skeptical at this point. Uh, Colin made some very good points, and I, I agree with the way he sees it. And, you know, I, I, when they play hockey, I'll believe they're playing hockey, basically. <laughs> and see, I, I'm the other way. If they don't play, that's when I believe uh, they're not playing. You know what I mean? It's <laughs> all how you look at it, man. <laughs> all right. Colin, thanks so much, and uh, hopefully uh, we'll have you back next episode with uh, some more uh, NHL chat here. Hey, I'm, I'm happy to do it. You know, let's, let's hope. And I certainly appreciate Colin taking some time out and jumping on the podcast, and uh, always good to talk to him. And, uh, and I also uh, appreciate Colin 
uh, filling in for me while I was taking vacation, and I will do the same for him, I believe, uh, in mid-December when he takes some uh, well-deserved time off. I will be uh, covering for him in case there's any news on his beat, as he did for me when uh, Johnny Boychuk uh, announced he was unable to play any longer. And now, um, without further ado, uh, which is basically the extent of my French... It's time for your questions with Andrew's Answers. And let's start right there with Johnny Boychuk and the Islanders' cap situation. Again, uh, a reminder, the cap is flat at $81.5 million. Johnny Boychuk uh, not being able to play. They will be able to use his $6 million uh, cap hit for this season. They do gain that either if he goes on long-term injured reserve, in which case they can exceed the cap ceiling by by Boychuk's uh, contract uh, cap hit, or if he retires, which uh, I, I do not think is the likely outcome, uh, just because he would be walking away from the final two years of payments on his contract, you know, and he skirted the issue of whether he was actually going to retire or not during his uh, Zoom press conference. And uh, I I did, if I could refer you to uh, this Sunday's edition of Newsday, or it is still online at newsday.com backslash sports, uh, I did attack or uh, try and uh, explain exactly what uh, Boychuk's announcement does mean to the Islanders' cap situation and what the Islanders have left to do this offseason, which is essentially uh, the the, the one absolute is re-signing Matthew Barzell and uh, Johnny Boychuk's, you know, his announcement does give the Islanders a little more cap flexibility. Uh, In the meantime, I will uh, try and answer your questions here. And Melissa starts... With what's going on with Boychuk's salary, does and does Andrew Ladd end up staying in Bridgeport? What is going on with Boychuk's salary again is you know if he retires, uh, the Islanders get that six million off their cap hit or off their uh, cap, and if he goes on long-term injured reserve, the Islanders can exceed the cap ceiling, the eighty-one point five million by Johnny Boychuk's $6 million uh, cap hit, uh, making Johnny Boychuk the $6 million man for the Islanders. As far as Andrew Ladd is concerned, does he end up staying in Bridgeport? Well, as you heard Colin and I discuss, is there going to be an AHL season? Is there going to be a Bridgeport for Andrew Ladd to play at? Now, you know, Obviously, Andrew Ladd is a, is a proud athlete, as as are all you know pro athletes, and he wants to come to training camp and he wants to make the team. Uh, that is his goal. Now, if for whatever reason his knees do not hold up, and if you remember uh, during the 2018-19, he had separate surgeries on both the right and left knee, uh, and he wound up only playing four games with the Islanders in the. 2019-2020 season um, before being on the roster for the postseason. Is LTIR, long-term injured reserve, a a, a possibility for Andrew Ladd? Well, I, I would certainly think so. And then, you know, same deal uh, with Andrew Ladd's uh, cap hit as with Johnny Boychuk's. And that would, you know, that would get the Islanders about $11 million, uh, in cap flexibility. And certainly, I, I think Lou, could, Lou Lamarillo could complete all his offseason 
business, which which also includes uh, officially announcing these deals with Andy Green and Matt Martin and uh, former Devils goalie Corey Schneider. Um, those have still not been officially announced as we speak on December 7th. So, you know, you need, you need money to get those under the cap. You need money to get Matthew Barzell under the cap. You need some uh, money in case you're going to add a, a Kiefer Bellows or an Oliver Wallstrom or an Otto Koivula uh, or whoever you do, Simon Holmstrom, to the roster. You, you still need some more cap flexibility. So uh, Johnny Boychuk's $6 million is not uh, uh, the be-all and the end-all for the Islanders, which brings us to Syke Borg, who says, how much more, if any, cap space do you think the Islanders will free up? Uh, trade, uh, Leo Komarov, Andrew Ladd, moved or buried, any other potential moves? And what of next year's expansion draft? Do you think a deal will be made to move a bad contract with sweeteners? Well, I, I'll get to the expansion draft a little bit later uh, in Andrew's answers. Um, and I, I did mention how much more cap space uh, you know, uh, basically, uh, they they should you know on, on in addition to the six million that Boychuk uh, gave them in flexibility, I, I think they need about another five million more in flexibility. And you know, you're you're staring at Andrew Ladd's contract there. Um, of course, I I don't think anyone is going to be trading for Andrew Ladd now. Um, you know, certainly not as a player. There might be a team well you know, uh, much closer to the cap floor or or that needs the money. And there are very, very few of those out there that would take on a bad contract if you, you know, sweetened it with maybe a first round pick and a prospect. But uh, it's been a slow off season to this point, And that has not happened. And uh, I'm sure Lou has made the calls. So I don't hold out much hope for that uh, at this point. Maybe when you do get into training camp, uh, there might be a little bit of, you know, opening up of, the, uh, of a secondary trade market. And Leo Komarov, who's got two years left on his deal with a $3 million cap hit, you know, certainly that, that's a, uh, you know, that, that's a contract that if Lou can move it, uh, and I'm strictly talking about business because I, I know how much Lou and Barry uh, trots uh, respect and really appreciate Leo Komarov's game and what he brings to the team. So it's not a move that they would would make, uh, you know, all things being equal. And again, you know, uh, the, the the cap savings you get if, if you take a guy like uh, Andrew Ladd and uh, Leo Komarov uh, and you put him in Bridgeport is not as great as if you just move the whole contract to another organization or onto LTIR. Uh, you're only gaining, a, I believe it's 1.075 uh, of cap uh, cap room, regardless of what the contract is. Reggae asks, and uh, maybe it's not pronounced reggae, it's spelt R-E-G-A-E-Y, and I'm going to pronounce it reggae because I, I do like me some reggae there. Um, what would it mean for the Islanders' cap situation if Andrew Ladd was placed on LTIR? Could this be the reason behind the reason there is not a deal in place for Matthew Barzell? Uh, I, I've discussed what it would mean for the Islanders' cap situation, um, and, and I think the second point there, yes, uh, you know, uh, Lou Lamarillo, certainly he's been talking to Matthew Barzell's representation throughout the summer, checking in, you know, I'm sure exchanging numbers, exchanging ideas here. But in, in until that money is readily available, they, they certainly can't, 
you know, fully move ahead. And so, yeah, I, I, I think, uh, you know, not specifically Andrew Ladd, but the, but the fact that they don't right now have the cap freedom to make all the moves official that they want to make is certainly a reason there's not a deal in place for Barzell. And then uh, uh, Christopher Clark asks, and, and, and before I get to that, I'd just like to say, I, I know uh, this is probably a different Christopher Clark, but one of my good friends in uh, high school was named Christopher Clark. Um, he goes by Angus now, and he uh, he's a really, really good guitarist, and he is playing for the uh, the West Coast uh, outfit of the Trans-Siberian Orchestra. So Christopher Clark asks, despite the fact that Boy Chuck will be missed, it helped the cap situation. True. But I think one more move needs to be made other than Lad. Should the next move be trade Leo Komarov, it's only two years left at $3 million with a 17-modified uh, 17 no-trade clause. And uh, as I mentioned before, look, you know, Leo has value to this organization. He, he may have more value if they're able to free up that, that $3 million. So I, I don't disagree with, with any anything you said there, Christopher. I got a Ilya Sorokin question from Stephen Shear. And before we get to the Ilya Sorokin question... We'll get to the Ilya Sorokin theme music. God, I love that theme music. And uh, Stephen Shear says, what is the Islanders goaltending situation going to look like next season? Sorokin is the number one, uh, Varlamov as backup. And uh, no, certainly not to start. You know, if if you've learned anything about Barry Trotz as as a coach uh, with the Islanders, be it uh, Thomas Grice with Robin Leonard, or Thomas Grice with Semyon Varlamov and, uh, you know, presumably next season, Semyon Varlamov with Ilya Sorokin. Um, It's that there's not necessarily the traditional number one from, you know, maybe what you thought of, you know, 10 years ago when you had, you know, goalies playing 70 plus games a year, the, the days of Marty Brodeur basically playing every single game and Chris Terreri sitting on the bench watching every single game. Those days seem to be over. Uh, you, you got more, much more of a 50-32, you know, my math is bad, 45, uh, what is that, 39? I'm sorry, you know, 45-37, you know, mixes along there, you know, or even a 42-42 mix. Um, the way I see it, at least to start next season is I, I believe uh, Barry will you know alternate a lot and see which goalie gets hot and you know he'll ride the hot hand when he has it and then he won't be afraid to go to the other guy. Um, so I, I really see Ilya Sorokin and Simeon Varlamov having fairly equal time next season. Uh, and you know, obviously Corey Schneider is being signed as an insurance, you know, Christopher Gibson is no longer with the organization in Bridgeport, you know, Corey Schneider, I believe gets the chance to come in and, you know, be the number one with Bridgeport. If again, if there is a Bridgeport, uh, season and he's there in case of injury 
to either Ilya Sorokin and Semyon Varlamov, but I'm sure in in Corey's mind, and you know, I, I got to know Corey pretty well uh, when I covered the Devils. In his mind, this is a chance for him to come in and uh, earn an NHL job, and that's going to be his mindset uh, come training camp. So, you know, that that that's how I see the NHL goaltending situation: is Sorokin and uh, Varlamov is the presumed NHL tandem and tandem in the truest sense of the word, and and Corey Schneider fighting, um, fighting to uh, you know to to change uh, Barry Trotz and Mitch Korn and Pierre Greco's mind on that. Um, Dan Hausman asks. Any word on the Islanders looking at Zach Parisi again uh, with the uh, Minnesota Wild? And that was the uh, rumored deal, uh, an Andrew Ladd-Zach Parisi uh, deal. I, I, have, I have not heard anything regarding that since, you know, around the trade deadline. Um, you know, I, I know I just saw it today that Matt Zuccarello uh, is injured. So, uh, you know... Do, do the Wild want to trade Parisi at this point? I'm sure they want to get out from underneath that contract. Um, and, and I know Lou's affinity for Zach Parisi. Um, I, I don't necessarily see a fit there. I, I don't, you know, I, I can't tell you for sure that Lou hasn't gone back and, and talked to the Wild about it, but I've heard nothing about that. Uh, again, I would be kind of surprised if that is the move that the Islanders make. They're, uh, they're, they're in a position, especially now because of COVID, making the, uh, uh, the salary cap flat, not just for the 2021 season. You're probably looking at the 21-22 season, still at 81.5, and, and potentially, you know, the season after that as well. So uh, taking on a Zach Parisi contract makes even less sense right now uh, than it did around the trade deadline, even if you're able to get rid of Andrew Ladd's contract. Um, Oliver Wallstrom, uh, let's see, I uh, got a bunch of Oliver Wallstrom and Kiefer Bellows questions coming up. Coach Jeff24 says, uh, do you think there will be any surprise moves to try and improve the power play if they free up cap space? Seems like there are some guys available at a bargain given the current economics and the absence of that. Will Bellows or Wallstrom get a real shot? And uh, I, I, I don't even think in the absence of that. I, I think regardless, uh, both Kiefer Bellows and Oliver Wallstrom will, will get a real good look, a real long look uh, at training camp and uh, you know, training camp's another thing that's going to be weird um, if there is a, a season here. You know, you're going to have about two weeks. And will there be preseason games? Uh, you know, some of the things you hear is there might be one or two, maybe. And other things is they're not going to risk it. They're going to go right into a regular season. That might make it a little tougher for a guy like Kiefer Bellows or Oliver Wallstrom. Or, you know, I'm also throwing in Otto Kaivola. Uh, Simon Holmstrom, uh, guys like that, prospects who are trying to uh, uh, crack the NHL roster full-time. Um, it might make it more difficult if you're just looking at it through uh, training camp without any preseason games. But I, I certainly think both Bellows and Wallstrom are, are, are certainly getting a real shot here. Now, do you think there will be any surprise moves? You know, in a way, uh, <laughs> you know, in my time 
dealing with Lou Lamarillo, almost everything is a surprise move because he keeps everything so close to his, uh, you know, close to the vest, and there are so few leaks out of uh, him and his camp. But having said that, you know, what what would be a, a surprise move? Well, you know, you hear whispers out of Calgary that, you know, the Flames might be looking to move at Johnny Gaudreau, who's got two years left at $6.75 million before he becomes an unrestricted free agent. Now, Johnny Gaudreau, uh, Johnny Hockey, is 27 right now. So, you know, you, you get him right in his prime, uh, but... His next contract, whatever team signs him to his next contract, you're probably going to be paying more for past performance than future performance. But, you know, uh, and right now, Johnny Gaudreau, you know, at a cap hit of $6.75 million is not, you know, is not really doable for the Islanders. Uh, you know, and, and Patrick Laine also has a $6.75 million cap hit. Uh, one season left on his deal before he becomes a restricted free agent, and Lane is only 22. Now, those are moves that would truly surprise me, uh, uh, mainly because I, I don't see them happening at this point. But, you know, like I said, Lou, Lou does pull out the surprise. I mean, no one expected Lou and the Devils to reach out and uh, snap up Ilya Kovalchuk like they did and then sign him to that deal. So, you know, yeah, it would surprise me, but uh, nothing shocks me with Lou. I, I just don't think right now with the Islanders' cap situation, much anything like that is very feasible. Benny Whosoever asks, where does Kiefer Bellows fit in this upcoming season? And uh, like I mentioned, I think uh, he's a guy who comes to training camp and he could certainly, you know, help second, third line, probably third line as a wing, you know, add a little bit of scoring. Um, You know, is his defense up to uh, Barry Trotz's uh, uh, standards and uh, you know Bellows certainly showed flashes, especially when he went back to the AHL uh, after his nine ten games with the Islanders last season. And uh, uh, Michael asks, does Oliver Wallstrom make the team next year? And I, I will say this: I think either Kiefer Bellows or Oliver Wallstrom uh, breaks camp with the Islanders. Pretty much. Whoever has the better camp, I, I think, will be on the roster. And uh, I, it wouldn't shock me if both were on the roster either. Andy Hicks asks, uh, as far as the expansion draft, do you think Lou sees it as an opportunity to shed salary, uh, i.e. Andrew Ladd, if he doesn't make it to LTIR? Can the Islanders afford another draft without restocking the prospect pool? They gave up a lot to Vegas to take Michael Krabowski. Uh They won't want to lose 3-6-24-2 for nothing. And that <laughs> uh, those numbers, again, uh, we're not playing uh, the lotto. Three being uh, Adam Pellick, six being Ryan Pulak. Um, what did we say? Uh, two being uh, Nick Letty there. Yes, I, I, I think Lou sees it as an opportunity to shed salary. However, you know, the guys I'm looking at that really would be, you know, maybe on the unprotected list is, you know, you got Jordan Everly at $5.5 million through 24. You got Josh Bailey at $5 million through 24. And, you know, I, I think there would be a lot of sentiment right now that Josh Bailey maybe deserves to be a, a lifetime Islander. 
Uh, but business is business. And I, I, to be honest, I, 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 I don't think it, it would be a little surprising to me if the Islanders protected either Everly or Bailey. You know, they could certainly they're not going to protect Ladd. Um, but I, I, I don't, you know, Lad's not going to be picked in the expansion draft. So, uh, you know, can they afford another draft without restocking the prospect pool? I, I, I think they're in decent shape right now. Um, yes, they gave up a lot to Vegas. Um, is Lou going to go the same route? Not necessarily uh, certain about that. It, it will be interesting, but I'm leaning towards, you know, Eberly and Bailey uh, being amongst the uh, uh, the players that Lou is going to dangle more so than, than a Pelik or a Pulak. And I know there's a finite amount of players you can protect there. Um, and that brings me to the end of the questions and the end of episode 61 of Island Ice. I want to thank uh, Colin Stevenson again for his... Uh, always uh, worthwhile contributions to the podcast and I want to thank you for listening and I want to thank everyone a very healthy and happy holiday season and uh, all the best to everyone's friends and family and loved ones as we, we, we try and get through hopefully what is this you know, final few months of uh, pandemic life here, at least knock on wood, that's what we all hope it is. And uh, uh, again, please go to uh, the Newsday website to read that uh, story I wrote on uh, the further implications of Johnny Boychuk's uh, $6 million cap hit for the Islanders. That's newsday.com backslash sports. Uh, there's an Islanders page. You can find all the back Islander podcast there. You can find the Islander podcast, Island Ice, wherever podcasts can be found. Apple, Spotify, Google Play, uh, SoundCloud, and again, on, on our website. And until we talk again, which is not going to be that long since I'm now back off vacation and I will have no more vacation time until the next season is concluded, or at least that is the hope. And until we talk again, Happy hockey, everybody.